0: Barkley on the take, giving left. Howard on the touchback inside to the five. Howard slams into the end zone. Touchdown, touchdown Bears. Jordan Howard, a nine-yard run. Snap is back. Coming on a blitz, they throw into the end zone. Left corner up in the air. Oh, yeah. Elson Jeffrey makes the catch. Touchdown, touchdown Bears. Bears Hour live with Lauren Cox and the Draft
1: Doc, Philatotion. Hello and welcome to Bears Hour Live. I am Lauren Cox here with Draft Doctor Philatotion, And today we have a very special guest in the Bears Hour Live digital online studios. Here with us is Pro Football Focus's Steve Palazzolo. Steve is their senior analyst. He is on the PFF quarterback podcast, aka the Big Time Throwcast. He and former NFL quarterback Zach Robinson break down all things quarterbacks, and that's what we're going to be doing here today on the show. Steve, how are you doing on this Sunday afternoon?
2: Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, obviously, Phil, the the big Bears news. We talked about it on Thursday. We 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 kind of hinted at it coming in the pipeline last week. That Mike Lennon, everyone knew he was going to be the Bears quarterback. Ryan Pace went out, and made the three-year deal, three years, $45 million, with a, a good chunk of that guaranteed, $18.5 million, but most of that's coming in the first year. So we're looking at a, basically a one-year deal with uh, an extra sort of two-team options afterwards. They can cut him after the first year and only have $4.5 million in dead cap space, and even after that, only one beyond that. So the quarterback position is far from settled in the, in the oncoming future. But we talked about it a little bit earlier, but what's your, what was your initial reaction to Mike Glenn and Phil?
0: Well, it wasn't the best kept secret in the world, Lauren. Everyone kind of knew, whispers around the league. It kind of was expressed by him afterwards that there was this mutual love affair with him and the Chicago Bears. And, you know, you got to like the way he's approaching the job and what it is and what it means to him because, you know, coming into the city, as we've seen from Jim McMahon, Jim Harbaugh, Tom Zack Doug Flutie all the way up to Cutler the city supports their quarterback not very well when it comes to this team so if you're not winning you know there's not a fan base support the backup quarterback seems to get a lot more support than the starter so Glennon comes in here and the tone of the city and the Bears fans around the world listening in right now really are iffy about the guy and we're lucky today to have Steve from PFF to come on give us a little insight of what he looks like to them because they have they do great work over there analyzing with tons of eyes on stats and tape recognizing what this guy's attributes are and for me Lauren you know I believe this is one year test drive as you draft your fate of the franchise Glennon marinated in that system in Tampa, was replaced by McCown. He was replaced by Winston. So you saw a little taste, and there's things to like. How he comes out the gate and approaches it, I like how he now getting in tech, bringing in a lot of targets Pace is doing to help him. So it's going to be exciting, but really ultimately, like you said, this is a one-year test drive for him in a competition. For me, I believe with a rookie first-round quarterback.
1: Now, Steve, we haven't had a lot of sample size, like Phil mentioned, for Mike Glennon. Started 13 games as a rookie, another five as a sophomore before, you know, in that pretty terrible Tampa Bay Buccaneer season that led to Jameis Winston coming in and taking over in year three for Glennon. So he hasn't played significant snaps since November of 2014. What what have you been able to tell from from what we've seen from Mike Glennon? What's, what's your evaluation of this quarterback, you know, entering free agency and, and now coming to the Chicago Bears?
2: Yeah, I think it's tough because of the sample size, like you said, to get a really clean gauge on him, though. When you put his rookie season, though, the 2013 year, into perspective – you know, it wasn't that bad. We see we see some rookies come out there and, and really struggle. And Even a guy like De- uh, Derek Carr uh, did not have a great rookie season and then bounces back and is excellent as a sophomore and then in his third season. But So you, you see a lot of even good quarterbacks struggle as a rookie. And the fact that Glennon in the PFF grading system ended up just below average in 2013 as a rookie, I think that's an encouraging sign. Uh, not to say that he's the next Derek Carr, that he's uh, you know, ready to break out or anything like that. But I think he's just looked serviceable in the time that he's been out there. So he, he'll work through his reads. He'll work through his progressions a little bit. He's, you know, good enough to, I think, find the check down, find the uh, hot read against the Blitz. Uh, he'll take some chances down the field. And, you know, like a lot of qu- quarterbacks around the league, for every, for every good pass, maybe there's a head scratcher. You know, some, for every... You know, great pass that he throws with anticipation. There's one that he comes back with, which is uh, uh, maybe a boneheaded decision, misread of coverage. And I think that's kind of what we've seen with Glennon. I think that's why when you shake it all together from a grading standpoint, uh, over 1,200 snaps in his career, he's s- settled in right around average. So uh, I think that's what you're looking for there. But I think when you, when you structure and break down the, the structure of the contract, it's a fairly ro- low-risk option for a guy who has limited experience. It doesn't keep you from drafting a guy, and I think that's the biggest thing. Why not roll the dice, see what you have with Glennon. You're not tied to him beyond the the one year, and continue to look for that franchise guy while you have Glennon for at least that one season.
1: Now, when you have a quarterback like Glennon that has some highs and has some lows, especially early on his career, I mean, he was a third-round pick in his rookie year. I mean, you know, it's it, 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 it's encouraging to see someone in his situation at least beat reach that sort of average play. But when you see those kind of spikes and those drops of, of some really encouraging throws downfield and then some questionable decisions, is that the kind of thing that you think can average out and and sort of round out? You know, after a couple of years of having not been on the field, or is that the kind of thing where you're going to see? consistently those ups and downs I mean is is that what's your philosophy on on the way quarterbacks develop in that sense is is a guy with with those kind of swings going to continue to swing or is is it a little bit too unpredictable at this point
2: yeah it's a good question I think some guys continue the swings guys like Jameis Winston you know his former teammate in Tampa Bay he's a guy that has these wild swings you know sometimes game to game sometimes four games at a time uh, sometimes within the game um, I don't think that Glennon is that volatile. I think it's uh, it's more he's not going to make a ton of special throws, but he, and he's not going to make a ton of boneheaded decisions. But, um, you know, again, it, it it depends on how you're – how are you getting there. Jameis's highs are really high. Jameis's lows are really low. I don't think Glennon is that uh, big of a roller coaster. But I think it is one of those things that uh, if you're a guy that settles in around average like Glennon does – then it's all about your surrounding talent. So if you have a good wide receiving core, if you have a good play caller, if you have uh, just a good, you have good structure around you, then I think you can be productive in the NFL. We've seen that with Andy Dalton and perhaps Andy Dalton deserves more credit than he's ever given, but he's in that mid tier of quarterback. But we've seen when he has really good playmakers, when he has a quick hitting system that takes advantage of his strengths, he could be a pretty good quarterback. So I think it's one of those things they're trying to surround talent around Glennon. Guys like, you know, bringing in Kendall Wright and bringing in Marcus Whedon. And, you know, hopefully you get Kevin White back on track to that first round caliber player that he was expected to be. And, you know, if if, if everybody hits around him, then I think those ups and downs from Glennon even off a little bit. And and that's when you start to see uh, a little bit of success. Well, you mentioned Wright. Here's one of the guys Ryan
0: Pace signed one year, $4 million deal kind of for me. I look at this as a redemption opportunity for this young man coming here, establishing himself with a new quarterback. There's total. This is a total different feel now with turning the page on Jay Cutler. How do you think right Trans transforms himself here with a new opportunity in Chicago.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good opportunity uh, You know Daryl Dowell Loggins was his offensive coordinator in 2013 when he had 94 receptions 1079 yards I, I don't think he's the number one guy perhaps that they were hoping for when they drafted him in the first round back in 2012 But uh, you know, I think he's a guy that you can move around a little bit move put him in the slot He can win on the outside uh, you know, I think, I think he's a guy that, uh, is a good complementary piece here. And, and again, at, at, if it's, you know, at one year, 4 million, it's another low risk type of option. And why not bring in a former first rounder who, when, when given the opportunity, he, he hasn't seen a ton of targets since that 2013 season. We, we've seen his targets dwindle every se- season since then, 134 down to 86 down to 59 last year at 41. Uh, you know, I think it's worth, you know, at this point, why not take a, take a risk and, and give him that redemption opportunity. And I think it's a, another solid low risk option.
1: Now, the Bears lose a guy like Alshon Jeffrey to the Philadelphia Eagles. And it, it kind of sounds like Alshon Jeffrey didn't want to be back. There's some rumblings behind the scenes there that maybe the Bears were sort of used as a negotiating tool to to raise his price to other teams. But regardless, he's gone and the Bears are kind of left with a bunch of guys that are question marks. I mean, Kendall Wright has been a 1,000-yard receiver, but obviously hasn't been over 500 yards in the last three seasons, has trouble staying healthy. Same kind of story with Marcus Wheaton. You know, he has a lot, he has that speed, a lot of potential, but can't stay healthy. When, when you see teams build wide receiver cores, you know, do you, do you think in the modern NFL with the way that teams go with so much 11 personnel and beyond and spread it out, do you need that number one Shut, you know lock on thousand fifteen hundred yard big receiver like Alshon Jeffrey or do you think with with the way the NFL is now, you can survive and, and have a good offense with a bunch of guys that you know they aren't all going go to command double teams and and force the teams to take guys out of the box individually, but collectively they're all threats and and can be effective in that sense so do you think do you think in the NFL now you need that number one guy or this sort of strategy of building up a, a group of Perhaps less proven receivers can sort of carry them over the top that way.
2: Yeah, it's, for me, it's less so the fifteen hundred yard receiver, so to speak, or the the quote unquote number one guy. It's more about the the types of skill sets that you're employing. I think if you have, I think you want a good, well balanced receiving core that can win in a number of different ways. So Jeffrey was obviously a guy that wasn't going to create a ton of separation. Was a great uh, go up and get it type of guy. You know, contested catch type of guy that uh you know you know quote unquote didn't have to be open right that that was the type of receiver that he was so i think having a uh, from a style standpoint a guy that you could trust to beat man coverage a guy that you know is going to be open out of the slot or a dependable guy who knows how to get open against zones uh a shiftier receiver a guy that's a really good route runner a guy who's really good after the catch i think it's more about the different styles that you employ rather than you know do you have a number 1 a 2 a 3 or 4 Certainly helps to have a number one, a guy that other teams have to game plan for, and I think that might be where Chicago's lacking on a on a weekly basis. Is you know which guy or opposing defensive coordinator saying we have to stop him, um, and I think that does make things a little bit easier. And as say Kevin White establishes himself as that guy, and he does get that extra attention, it will open things up for perhaps a Marcus Wheaton, a Kendall Wright, a Cameron Mer- Meredith, uh, maybe a Daniel Braverman at some point. To uh, you know, to be able to contribute, so I think it's about styles more than anything, and it certainly helps having that uh, you know that big number one guy that can at least uh, intimidate opposing defensive coordinators.
0: Now, in your work, Steve, with PFF, you look at uh, connecting the dots a little bit here with Dow Loggins having success with this player right down in uh, Tennessee, coming to Chicago, staying in that. Dowell Logan's philosophy, do you see those numbers kind of get back to where they were, do you believe, because of the offensive system and philosophy based on the offensive coordinator trying to use these pieces in a certain way, or is it more based on the talent rather than the system seeing those numbers rise? Because a lot of fans are kind of correlating the two. Well, and we've seen it in the past where, players have left to go to coaches in other cities that had coached them previously and then going on to have success again, based on the philosophy that they're trying to run. Is this something where we can catch a little lightning in the, in the bottle, so to speak?
2: Yeah, potentially. I mean, I think it is one of those things like, like anything in life. I think the familiarity helps, you know, the idea of a coach and a player who know each other, a, a player who knows the system. Uh, you know, that that's half the battle. We see a lot of free agent receivers uh, who don't necessarily mesh with a, a new offensive system for whatever reason because mm-hmm. of terminology, style, uh, usage patterns. So I think familiarity certainly gives a bit of a leg up. I, I think it might be far-fetched to say, okay, he's definitely going to get back to 94 catches and over 1,000 yards and, uh, you know, back to where, exactly where he was in, in 2013. But, uh, you know, it certainly helps having that familiarity. And I, I like what Dowell Loggins did. Uh, even just last year, with uh, with Cutler, with Hoyer, with Barkley, all of those guys coming in, and for the most part, I think he did a good job of managing different style quarterbacks and and getting the most out of those guys. And um, you know, I think you got to hand it you know, to logins And now it's a it's uh it's a matter of you know figuring out where these wide receiver pieces fit. I think Wright does probably have a bit of a leg up, having some familiarity with the system compared to other guys that they would bring in, and. And you know, there's you know still looking for their long-term quarterback to to put it all together. But uh, like what he did last year with with a few different quarterbacks, and uh, like his chances of at least maximizing what Mike Glennon can do as well.
1: We we touched a little bit, or we mentioned Marcus Wheaton, and I, I wanted to get your opinion on how he and Kendall Wright stack up side by side. I mean, they're both guys that they seem to be primarily most effective out of the slot, but you can move them outside. They're both quick speed guys. Maybe Wheaton's a little bit more long speed and, and Kendall's a little bit more explosiveness. But where where do you see the differences in these guys? I mean, are they, how similar in your mind are these two players? And, you know, you mentioned the different skill sets. Do they offer different things in your mind or are they sort of two flyers on a similar type of guy?
2: No, I think they're different. I think Wright's a shiftier type of guy, like you, kind of like what you mentioned, uh, you know, quicker than fast, so to speak. Whereas Wheaton uh, does bring a little bit more big play potential to the table. I think Wheaton's big issue is uh, separating on vertical routes and uh, just catching the ball consistently down the field. It's not necessarily that he had a ton of drops, so to speak, throughout the years, but you know the, those, those contested catches, those times when he's not necessarily separating down the field, the inability to uh, come through with the big catch, I think that inconsistency became, you know, became frustrating in, in Pittsburgh at times for both fans and, and for the Steelers' offense. Uh, you know, he's a guy also 2015 averaged 15.7 yards per catch on 57 receptions. I think that's, you know, that shows his, his big playability, averaging that many. And, um, you know, the one monster game against Seattle when he randomly went for 201 yards, which I, I think was more about how they approached uh, taking, taking the rest of Pittsburgh's multitude of weapons out of the game, but I think I think Wheaton is more of your deep shot type of guy whereas I think Wright is a better option to become a high volume target in the in the offense uh, more out of the slot where you can uh, work work the short and underneath stuff a little bit more whereas I think Wheaton is the guy you're trying to send down the field on on the deep stuff a little bit more often now, Steve I want to take you back to Glennon because
0: obviously it looks like one year Prove it maybe more, you know, it all depends on the man if he's Focused and has been working on his craft, you know, Tampa doesn't try to resign the player if they think he's you know A journeyman that's never gonna be able to be there They want him on the team just in case Any injury were to take place that he's competent to start it could be even better than that as you expressed Winston's very high then he's very, very low. Maybe the consistency that Glennon has can show up and show itself here in Chicago. But with that being said, you're the GM of the Chicago Bears at three. You have your choice of those quarterbacks. What are you
2: what are you doing if you're the GM there? Oh man, this quarterback class that continues <laughs> to just have so many questions. It's not like the Jameis and Mariota class where you just said, okay, it's those two guys at the top. And last year, right or wrong, everybody seemed to agree that it was Jared Goff and Carson Wentz at the top. Though many teams did have Paxton Lynch up there as well. Uh, I, I don't think it's as clear this year. I think it's definitely my my cop out has always been that it depends on the team and uh, the way the <laughs> scheme is run. That's been my my cop out for each of these guys. But speaking through the Chicago lens, I think I think Mitchell Mitchell Trubisky now. <laughs> uh, would be the guy. I, I think he, he fits what Loggins likes to do. I, I think his, uh, you know, people are scared of just one year and the same argument you've used about Glennon kind of getting beat out as a starter people use against Trubisky, the fact that Marquise Williams started over him and Trubisky only had the one-year starting. But if you see what he did as a one-year starter, the pocket movement that he showed, the athleticism and footwork in, in and outside the pocket, I think he's got the arm to drive the ball outside the numbers. I think his short area accuracy is excellent. Uh, floats the deep ball a little bit too much, I'd say, and uh, could do a little bit better job there. But I think uh, certainly a lot more than good from Trubisky in year one, and I'd be really interested to see him in this scheme and you know build him up as a guy that, you know because he has one year of experience, let him, uh, do you let him sit and learn? Do you just throw him out there? But I, I just think that would be probably the best fit out of all of the quarterbacks here. I think the the knocks on Deshaun Watson that continue to come up are his inability to work through progressions, go from one to two to three to four, uh, to maneuver the pocket. Those things are pretty crucial in the NFL, and they're really tough to learn. And it's it's interesting that I think Trubisky did a better job of that as a one-year starter, while Watson, with about basically two and a half years of experience, uh, still struggled with that aspect of his game. And that's not uh, you know, that's the knock on Watson. The good with Watson is is really good. You know, he's got the good uh, good touch. I think he can make all the necessary throws despite whatever the combine velocity numbers were uh, <laughs> that I saw floating around Twitter. I mean, I think he drives the ball to the seam. He can throw the uh, – th- throws the goal ball outside the numbers extremely well. And, um, you know, has that uh, – hate saying it, but that quote-unquote it factor – that uh, just when he, he has the ability to bounce back from mistakes and that is a thing and mm-hmm. I think that's that's a big part of Watson's game you know you can't he's been tough to hold down and I think that's a, a huge factor and I think that's what pe- make people debate him a little bit longer than you would because when you just throw the traits up there you know the pocket thing scares you the progressions thing scares you but that ability to come back when necessary to bounce back from mistakes, I think that's what gets people really... Uh, questioning themselves on Watson, saying we don't want to miss on this guy because off the field and the way he handles his business and everything else seem to be outstanding. Uh, plus, he has he has enough physical talent as well. So, uh, you know, it, it, to me, it'd be between Watson and Trubisky at the top. I just think Trubisky for Chicago probably be a better fit.
1: Now, with with Watson and the progressions. Uh, now, Phil and I are both uh, Deshaun Watson number one quarterback. That, that's where we stand, obviously. <laughs> You know, we're we're a little little disagreement there, but with Watson, do you think with the progression specifically, is is there is there coaching in that though that he? I mean, obviously, both I mean, both North Carolina and Clemson's offense has a lot of quick game and a lot of where you don't need to read, and then obviously when they're asked to do so, like you mentioned, Trubinsky was very good at going through that progression, and and Watson not as much. I, I agree there, but is. Is Watson not being asked to do that as much as North as North Carolina was with Trubisky or do you think it it was pretty even the two of them and, and Trubisky ultimately showed more of that?
2: This is where we do some philosophizing, right? <laughs> so I think, I don't think he was asked to do as much, but on one hand it almost doesn't matter. You know, so the, the fact that he wasn't asked to do it doesn't necessarily make the transition to the NFL any easier. And Um, now on one hand you could say, well, if he wasn't asked to go from two to three to four, it doesn't mean he can't do it, which is absolutely true, but it doesn't also doesn't make the learning process at at the NFL level uh, any easier either. So I think that's an issue. I think the other question to ask, I don't think Clemson runs a simple system, so to speak. I think they, um, they'd be more than willing to throw some complicated concepts out there. So is it were they limiting things because of Deshaun Watson or were they a limited system because that's just the system that they run? So I think that's a fair question to ask as well. Uh, I, I do think when you have a guy that's as athletic as Watson, always been the most athletic guy on the field growing up, he's not a, he's not a, I mean, they use him in the run game quite a bit, 10 to 15 times a game. They would just do, you know, design runs with Watson. I mean, he's, he's that good of a runner. When you are that athletic, when you are that good uh, as a runner, uh, I think all the time growing up, the instinct is uh, – and pretty much you're taught, you know, look once, look twice, and then take off. So, yeah, you know, that's kind of been his thing probably for his entire life. Those are tough habits to break at the next level, and those are not – and that's not something that really works at the next level over a long period of time. That was what RG3 did in 2012 – it was you get one read, you get a second read, maybe, and then you're taken off. And that was by design of the t- of, of the system by the, and by design of what I think the Washington Redskins felt that RG3 could handle. So I think in the right system, in the right situation, Deshaun Watson will absolutely have success. Could he progress in his progressions? Absolutely. I just think it's more of a risk uh, thinking that he can definitely do it. Whereas Trubisky in a much smaller sample size, I think, showed the ability to do that. Um, You know, where they're lacking, though, Watson showed the ability to win and come back and bounce back from mistakes. And all those other things that I said, you know, he has a better track record than Trubisky doing that. So they both have their strengths and weaknesses. But, uh, you know, as far as improving the pocket presence and ability to work through reads, uh, it's more of a we don't know what Watson can do in this to end and and there's a lot of risk in that, especially if you're drafting top five, top ten, or pretty much anywhere in the first round. Now Steve, you were a
0: former baseball pitcher and I right. you talked you talked about the velocity of the the football being timed at the combine. I've seen people tell me, based on the forty nine miles per hour, this young man's undraftable because that's not gonna equate. You and I are on the same page here in regards to that stuff doesn't matter because on tape where it's going against first round talent all across the conference and cross conference plays, this guy's making first round corners turn their heads and dropping dimes left and right. So as long as it gets there per se, would you say that that's the reality and in velocity only matters in
2: baseball? I mean, it, look, I, velocity even in baseball was more of a margin of error type of thing. You know, I I only, I only threw 89 to 93, so my margin of error was right in that average mix for a minor league pitcher. So if I was throwing 98, hey, I could throw some, I could throw a few more pitches down the middle, get away with them, you know. It, mm-hmm. So I think with a quarterback, I I used Wentz as an example last year. Wentz doesn't have to be as sharp with his reads or as quick with his mind if he could just zip it in there a little bit quicker than someone else. Now it's not the ideal way to do things, but all it does is give him a little bit more margin for error. If a guy that doesn't have a good arm, a guy like a Brock Osweiler who doesn't have a very good arm, other every now and again, he'll wind up and whip one, but for the most part doesn't have good, uh, good velocity. He has to be right on point because if you're a touch late, that ball's not going to get there. My bigger issue, I think with the combine velocities, I think it's, you know, from what I've heard from people, it's just a couple throws and, I know how fickle radar guns are and they all read differently and they all read at different points Mm -hmm. of the of the release. And the angle is so important. So I don't know exactly how they're doing that. So it's more me questioning the combine velocities than anything. But I think as far as, you know, assuming that whatever numbers are true, you know, velocity is important. It does help. It gives you a little bit more margin for error, but it's certainly not the most important thing. Uh, it's not the most important thing in baseball and absolutely not the most important thing in football because timing and, uh, you know, throwing to the right place and accurately is absolutely uh, much more important than the velocity and speed of the ball.
1: One of the biggest fears right now, I think, among the Bears fandom and the the Chicagoland area is that along with Mike Glennon, the Bears may not draft a quarterback in the first round and they may wait and pair a guy like Glennon with... One of these, you know, tier three or four quarterbacks in the you know obviously not a not a Watson, not a Trubisky, maybe not even a Mahomes Mahomes or Deshaun Kaiser, but that next level down that they'll wait till second round, third round, even fourth round and sort of go with that as the quarterback plan. In your opinion, in the in these in this next tier of quarterbacks, who's the one guy that you would? be most willing to take a flyer on as a guy that you pair with Mike Glennon and you let him sit for a year or maybe two and hope that he can develop in that sort of like Aaron Rodgers way. Cause obviously Rodgers and those guys that have been successful with that are the, certainly the exception to the rule. But who do you think in this draft gives you the best chance for some sort of long-term development behind a guy like Glennon?
2: Man, I don't, I don't love this class for that type of uh, developmental quarterback, but I mean, I think it's between Brad Kaya Of Miami, maybe Nate Peterman uh, of Pittsburgh. Obviously, the Bears saw Peterman up close at the Senior Bowl throughout that entire week, and um, you know, I don't know if that ends up becoming a factor. Uh, You know, his uh, his ability to um, you know run their offense, and you know, at the Senior Bowl. So when I describe Peterman and Kaya, the word unspectacular uh, continues to to come to mind. I, I guess the same word with Glennon as well, but. You know, Kaya, Kaya, I think, is a guy that would get that West Coast offense label. If you're reading scouting reports, the guy that can just when it's a timing and rhythm passing game and he has a clean pre-snap read, he'll get the ball out on time. He'll throw the ball accurately for the most part. And he can run an offense when the when the situation around him is is strong. His problem is under pressure. I don't think he has great physical tools, even though he's this you know top recruit six four and all that stuff. I don't think he has a cannon for an arm either either, like some of these other guys. And so I don't know if the 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 upside down the road really is all that high. and i'd I'd probably throw Peterman in a similar boat where you know, you saw him at the senior bowl and the, his win, you know his he won the senior bowl as far as the practice week goes among all the quarterbacks and not because he was spectacular just because the ball just didn't hit the ground a whole lot when he was running the offense whereas the other quarterbacks the ball was hitting the ground and that's in part because you have QBs and receivers that are not on the same page and these QBs are picking up new systems and there's all these factors and Peterman just you know hit the checkdown when he needed to hit you know move the chains when he needed to and you know hit a couple deep outs that you know showed off that he could get the ball outside the numbers with timing and accuracy so unspectacular, but serviceable guys like Peterman and Kaya, I think are probably your best options as, you know, why not take a shot on these guys that could eventually become serviceable type starters. But I don't think you're, you know, grabbing that next Dak Prescott, that next Tom Brady in this draft. I mean, nobody ever really expects that. So, um, you know, look, I'd say, I'd say Kaya and Peterman are the two guys to keep an eye on in that light. And, um, you know, the philosophy goes draft a quarterback every year or, continue to see what sticks. And I think when you're in the Bears position, if you don't take a guy at the top end of the first round, why not you know, grab a guy in the middle and, and see what happens and continue to grab quarterbacks and see what happens. And if you have to draft one next year as well, go for it and do it until you find that guy that you're absolutely comfortable with. Steve, you mentioned
0: Watson. One of the intangible things that he had was that it factor, that innate ability to make plays in the biggest moments, in the biggest situations. You look at Ryan Pace, this is the second year in a row he went out there to get elite talent at the cornerback position. He was unable to get Gilmore and Bowie. He came away with um, Amukamura and Cooper. Can you talk about those two players and how they look like, according to PFF, how their grades are, how maybe improvement can be made based on Vic Fangio's philosophy here in Chicago.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've always liked Prince of Mukamara. I I think people expected him to be, uh, you know, Darrell Rivas coming out for whatever reason when they got drafted in the first round out of Nebraska that, you know, he was this lockdown type of corner and you know, true number one that uh, you know, could, could cover all number one receivers and all that fun stuff. And I don't know that he's ever developed into that, but He's a guy that's always been solid. He's never put up a crazy coverage grade for us, but he's never really uh, gotten torched uh, in, in a season. I think he's always been a solid guy. I think he's a guy, you know there's a handful of uh, corners around the league and he's one of them that seem to bounce around more than I would expect um, because I think he just he plays he plays solid football when he's out there. So I like him uh, from a signing standpoint. I think that was a good uh, worthwhile risk, a, a good move uh, to pick up a Mukamara because he's always been fairly successful. I think with Cooper, the most extreme, uh, the most intriguing part of him was, you know, the first eight or nine weeks of his career in 2013. He was unbelievable for Kansas City, and he really hasn't gotten back to that point yet. Uh, it started week 11 that season in 2013, the year that Peyton Manning was tearing it up. He uh, attacked Cooper left and right, absolutely torched him, and it, it's like he hasn't even recovered. Uh, pretty much poor coverage grades every year since. And, again, based off, you know, the fact he's 6'2", 190, has some length, and, you know, know, you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle with him and try to get back to what that potential looked like early in that 2013 season, but just giving up far too many big plays throughout his career, 15.1 yards per catch, which is too high, 16 touchdowns versus 7 interceptions into his coverage throughout his career. So just too many big plays at this point for Cooper, Um, So I think he goes in as a guy that, uh, you know, I think fighting an uphill battle for playing time, but, you know, based off where the top end of his game was uh, very early in his career, certainly worth a a shot to see if he could get back to that point.
1: The theme of the Bears offseason, at least with these free agent moves, has been trying to catch that lightning in a bottle. And we caught lightning in a bottle having Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus on our, on our live Bears, our live show. Steve, I know you got to get going here, so it's been great having you. But before you go, I wanted you, I wanted you to talk about this, this, this PFF NFL draft pass that you guys are putting out. I know there's a ton of great stuff in there, and I, I don't know if everybody knows about exactly how this goes, but it seems like it's a pretty solid package going on there.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a, a new thing this year. Last year we did a draft guide for with you know, PDF form with all of our cool PFF stats for the entire draft class. This year we're doing the guide once again, but also putting everything online. So all of our signature stats from uh, QB stats when throwing the deep ball to wide receiver deep ball numbers to their drop rate to cornerback coverage stats, like just like those stats I just dropped on Marcus Cooper, but all for the draft class. So all that stuff will be online, uh, all in this draft pass. And if you buy the online component, you also get the PDF, which we're going we're gonna to be dropping the first PDF this week, and we're going to update it every couple weeks adding more prospects and player profiles to it. Uh, but you'll get all those stats either online or the PDF, all the player profiles and it's all just for, for 20 bucks or, or 19.99, which I think sounds, sounds cheaper. So oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's the first time we've ever really had our signature stats online uh, at the college level. So I think it's pretty cool. And again, good way to just check out the entire draft class. And hopefully I think we're going to update it right after the draft as well. And, have it neatly sorted so you can see all of your team's draft picks as well. So, sign up once and you'll have every iteration between now and the draft.
1: And Steve, I know last year before the draft there was the uh, the Pro Football Focus draft show on NBC Sports channel. You got to be on TV, you're you're a big time celebrity is there <laughs> is there any kind of okay. any kind of big big uh, media plans coming up for this draft that you could tease any kind of TV, radio, special things PFF Scott working in the pipelines for that?
2: There'll be a lot of radio. Um, I don't. We don't have anything scheduled for TV just yet. Uh, but we there's a chance we'll have some sort of online uh, live stream. I don't know. It's either going to be ourselves or partnered with someone. So there'll be some sort of live coverage. I think in video form. I'll take my TV stardom to the uh, to the internet this year. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think that's what we have planned. I put stardom in quotes too, by the way. Well, I. But I, um, I think that's the plan. We'll do something live.
1: Well, I met you in person, and, and I had stars in my eyes. I had I got Steve to sign my Steve Palazzolo minor league baseball card. That is a very valuable artifact. I now have
2: framed in my. I can't go anywhere bedroom. without signing autographs. Thanks, thanks, Lauren. For the, uh, <laughs> the confidence boost there too. If you guys aren't
1: following Steve, he is at PFF Steve on Twitter. I mean, you can follow the whole PFF guys. I mean, it's constant football talk. It's it's great analysis, and it, just thanks a ton for coming on the show, Steve. It was a lot of fun having you on.
2: Absolutely, guys. Thanks
0: for having me. Anytime. Thanks again, Steve. Before I let you go, though, give one uh, one little thing to Bears fans. There was a lot of signings. We talked about Glennon and Wheaton, a little bit of Cooper and Amukamara. Which one really stood out to you before you go? That has a real opportunity here in Chicago.
2: I think Amukamara. I, you know, I mentioned like I mentioned earlier. I just think he's always been a solid player. I'm surprised that he's bounced around as much as he has. You know, bounced to a couple different teams and not stuck on a long-term deal. So I think Amukamara has been a solid player, and he's been an above-average corner. And when you know, just I always make the point that average players are extremely valuable in the NFL, and he's an above-average player when he's given the opportunity to play. So I think Amukamara is going to be fine. And I think the other part is just the defense in general. I think there's enough talent coming back with with all the injuries that they had last year. I think the defense has a chance to get back on track and and, and really make some improvement this year. So I think those would be the encouraging signs, and, and I like the Amukamara signing for sure. Well, thank you so much for
0: coming on, giving us some time here on Bears Hour Live. It was really great to have you on and, and really hear your perspective on the Chicago Bears and free agency as well as some great draft insight.
2: You got it. Thanks again, guys. All right. Thanks, Steve.
0: Have a good one. Lauren, a lot to get into there. I mean, obviously, me and you aren't step-for-step with Steve on Deshaun Watson, Mitchell Trubisky. And, you know, the future of the Chicago Bears, really, I I like the signing of Cooper. I see the length and the fit and the scheme for fans. I really feel like this is one of those lightning-in-the-bottles themed things with Ryan Pace. He didn't hit on the huge star, high-profile name guys, Lauren. And it was probably the most disappointing thing was losing out on Jeffrey for me and for you, I believe, too. I think that was the biggest disappointing thing. And then as the names kind of flickered on the screen and and other teams are are investing with, with the Bears having so much money to invest... I really like the Cooper side. I really believe that this guy fits what Vic Fangio and dead Donatel like in a corner. And I feel like he plays with that chip on his shoulder. Lauren, I, I guess I'm getting a lot of DMs and uh, texts that they're, having, they're not hearing Lauren what Lauren has to say. You ah. know, he's... He's talking really about the investment in Cooper, really showcasing the fact that this young man is somebody that they believe fits their system with the kind of investment that they've made to him. And you look at the opportunities here, and, and they're throwing bodies at the position, as Bear fans have seen in the past. And Last year they did something similar. I don't think they put as much talent. They just put a lot of... Younger players and mid-tier draft picks into filling that position at cornerback that hopefully that this year A lot of these players would take that next step from what they they've learned in year one So you look at DeAndre Hall Craven LeBlanc You look at um, who's the other corner that they they drafted there Lauren
1: Well, well, Phil, I'm glad I waited until Steve left before I, I made my first <laughs> mistake, you know, we, we've, done, we've done a good, what, two, three dozen episodes of Bears Hour Live. You know, we started week yeah. one with the previous show, and not once have I been caught that long with my sound level muted. So, you, so <laughs> Phil, I don't know for our listeners, Phil could hear me, and I was talking, and he didn't know anything was wrong, but on, our, on our, our audio mixer, I had my sound turned off so that the broadcast couldn't hear what I was saying, and I have yet to do that, and yet... Three dozen shows or whatever—I don't know how many shows exactly we've done of Bears Are Live. It takes this far, and I, and, I, and I finally, I finally got caught with my sound off. So what I was saying was that the Bears put the financial <laughs> investment in Marcus Cooper with the three-year deal. With you know, compared to the one-year deal that Prince Amukamara got, it's it's a little bit of a different investment. That shows that they're maybe a little bit more confident in Cooper. And the, the philosophy here seems to be the same way we've seen last year that pace when he can't go on, like like you see with the tight end position last year, he couldn't get Josh Hill, he couldn't get Jermaine Gresham. So what was his strategy? Throw bodies at the position and hope that competition brings out some some competitors. And same thing at the safety position last year. They couldn't get they couldn't get anybody that they wanted, so they was just throw Amos, throw Jones Corte, throw Dion Bush, throw Houston Carson, throw Presinsky in there, and hope that one of these guys emerges as a starting level safety. And it didn't work. <laughs> you know, at either position, the Bears were left kind of thin. So I think this year, coming around it, he's he's going even more so deep at the cornerback position. It's not just throw a couple bodies. It's let's sign three guys that have all been starters with re-signing Banks and grabbing uh, Marcus Cooper and Prince of Mucamara, in addition to having Fuller and Porter and DeAndre Hall and Cravan LeBlanc and Bryce Callahan. So we legitimately have... Off the top of my head, I didn't count the number of people that was, but six, seven, eight guys that are capable Mm -hmm. of being starting quality corners on this team and just hope and pray that one of them can be, or I guess two of them can emerge as healthy, starting, contributing quality
0: cornerbacks. Well, don't you think with the investment that they've made with Cooper, as well as what you're putting together with PFF, Steve coming on with Amukamara, there's an opportunity here that they might move on from Tracy Porter, A. B, you know, some of the things that Tracy Porter puts on tape, the lackadaisical effort to make a tackle, make a play, to give up in games that look lost, that kind of energy that you put on tape, sometimes you just want to get rid of that kind of culture and move on from that. I know he's kind of took to Twitter, didn't like hearing it, from us, Lauren, but the reality is it's there and it lives. Then you look at Crevon LeBlanc and you look at uh, Bryce Callahan, there's a real opportunity because they both showcase the ability to play the slot corner position that this time around, based on the talent that you're putting on the field, I think you're going to have a real good opportunity to improve that secondary and probably just admitting i'm wrong here to to the fans i feel like there might still be an opportunity that they will take a corner in this draft and looking at how important that is to vic fangio to get those corners ready and the competition high and a deep cornerback class i could see them still taking a corner high I didn't think that the other day based on the investment that they seem to be putting in, but there's kind of a pattern here, Lauren.
1: It makes me wonder, too. I know we we had talked about this when we were hearing some stuff about some of the free agents the Bears were looking at, and you, you see a guy like Cooper at 6'2", 192 is what he's listed at, a guy like DeAndre Hall that has a lot of size, a guy like Jonathan Banks that has a lot of size. You know, we're starting to see some of that profile of these corners, and even you, you compare that, too, with a guy like... Kyle Fuller, it feels like Mm -hmm. one of these guys should be moved to safety. Don't you think? Like, they have the physical (laughs) skill sets
0: that maybe one of these guys... How long are we saying this, Lauren? What? Can, Can we pray to the safety gods that Kyle Fuller be used appropriately and be moved to free safety? I mean, when he's coming out of the draft, I just look at this football player and he screams free safety because... He plays with confidence and aggression with eyes on the quarterback. He has no fear coming in the alley or to come up on a stalk block, take it on, and make very good tackling technique on bigger backs. That's where he excels. I know last year was frustrating because the injuries and being called out by the offense, I mean the defensive coordinator and the head coach, about his willingness to get back on the field you know that shouldn't happen that stinks that it did but this talent it lives on that roster right now and when you look at Tracy Porter getting notes from our producer out there he's the third highest paid cornerback now with zero guaranteed I could see them moving on from him and moving Kyle Fuller to safety I just think that's the way to go and As I've stressed all offseason, Lauren, I think Adrian Amos really takes the brunt of the heat. And really, it's BS because I really believe he's a very good safety, a very good strong safety. That's where he belongs, in the box, making plays on running backs, coming up and destroying guard pulls. He's a physical guy with a lot of athleticism. He's not a ball hawk. And you're asking him to be that, to cover up all the other errors that are out there and the growth that you needed at the cornerback position. This Amukamara and Cooper, as well as the return of Banks, because he came in late, I think, in December. So I really like what Ryan Pace is doing right now with the secondary. And if you throw in a rookie in there, too, I just think that the sky's the limit right now. And I believe you. And agree with you that it's time. I don't care what Vic Fangio wants or says. You gotta move Kyle Fuller, Lauren. I, I I don't
1: share the same confidence in the safety in the cornerback position that you do right now. I I'm skeptical of Marcus Cooper. I I, I like the skill set. I, I think there's a lot of seal. There's a high ceiling there, but I don't feel like the floor. And maybe maybe this change of scenery will do something good for him, and and he can really start to put it all together. But I'm not. I don't see uh, outside. I mean, Amukamara I'm, is the most is the guy I'm most excited for. I think he's going to stop step in. if he stays healthy. He's your day one starting cornerback, your number one guy this year. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I, I don't feel comfortable in Tracy Porter. I don't think he's going to. I don't. I question his dedication and that knee that had to be drained every week. I don't feel comfortable in Kyle Fuller being healthy. I don't feel like. I, like I said, I'm not crazy about Marcus Cooper. I, I just don't think he's. I, I, I'm scared of where his floor is. I, uh, Jonathan Banks obviously hasn't played a lot of football in a long time, so I'm not. I'm or sorry, Jonathan. There's no A in there. John Jonathan Banks. That's one of the <laughs> weirdest names in the NFL. I hate. I every time I spell his name, I spell it Just wrong. Call him it's, John. Yeah, John J T Banks. Um, I, you know, I'm not comfortable with him stepping in and being a starter. And then DeAndre Hall, I like. I like DeAndre Hall a lot. I like his skill set, but you know, fourth round pick from last year. I. None of these guys, besides Kamara scream to me like, "Yep, he's our starting cornerback." And when you have a bunch of question marks like that, you're really, you know, you're, you're taking as you're trying to get as many lottery tickets as you can. And I just don't know if any of these guys are going to pay off and be that starting quality cornerback unless you add another one in the draft. And, and I think I would be much more comfortable with that. But at the same time, you have so many other needs on this team that. You invest in, in three free agents and another draft pick after investing in a draft pick last year and adding Cravon LeBlanc on top of Tracy Porter and Cal Fuller. I mean, there's so many bodies there that you have to start putting more effort elsewhere on this roster. And, and I, I wonder if, if the cornerback position is lacking that sure fix.
0: Oh, well, I'm going to bet you here on our national worldwide radio network.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, we had PFF Steve
0: say, on. We're, we're the big time now. Listen, I think that Cooper is going to be your starter and I believe that he's going to show not only a lot of people what scheme means I mean we look at the New England Patriots their defense is based on scheme fits I think Cooper does the matchup zone stuff very well he's long but he's aggressive and I feel like that was a real ed donatel vic fangio want they had experience with this guy in kansas city i believe donatel this is something when coaches go out of their way to get players because they know scheme wise their traits are going to fit them and what they want to do whereas we before you're looking at the likes of some of the players that aren't fitting what it is that they want or just can't comprehend it you know there's a lot more than just covering a guy man-to-man. Secondary play, especially in Vic Fangio's matchup zones, is very complex. Sometimes you got to know your one, two, and three, and if you don't, you see a busted coverage, a busted play. We saw that against Green Bay in the most critical situation. They didn't know their ones and twos, and all of a sudden, Jordy Nelson on the most ridiculous play ends up beating you deep for 60 yards and you know the story it seems to happen stage fright against that team over up north. So I feel like Cooper and I'm going a long way to get to this point is That's going always. to be the the scheme fit people. I believe in this football player i I really lo- like that signing a lot. I'm and- not on the PFF payroll so I could say that Lauren <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh the, the the they
1: they only pay me during the regular season as a part time employee. So like for for so, so I'm I'm off the payroll for the next uh, for the next six months or whatever until we get closer to the, end of the regular
0: season. Let me footnote this because my producer's in my ear. Forty ers drafted Cooper in Did the they? seventh round. Yeah, that was where it came from. Seventh round. That's where the experience came from. Donatel and Fangio really liked the football player. So this is why I think players like we talked about with Steve, Lauren, and Wright coming in with Dahl Loggins has an advantage because he knows the philosophy that they're looking for. But also, this is a first-round talent and, and explosive and quick twitchy that is coming back from health. I just think familiarity with things as well as comfort goes a long way And you see Ryan Pace really listen to his coaches and went after those kind of fits so far.
1: Now, we're getting down to about five minutes left in the show, and we haven't talked about Quinton Demps or Dion Sims. So, Phil, real quick, I think we should touch on those guys. I know we got a little bit into that on Thursday, but I think th- our Thursday show was more about uh, venting about Alshon Jeffrey and Mike Lennon <laughs> than, than really getting into these guys specifically. So, Sims, let, let's start with Sims because he was sort of the, the bigger money signing of the two, three years, $18 million, with $10 million guaranteed. They're banking on this guy to sort of, be that legitimate number two, work with Zach Miller as a two tight end offense kind of guy. What what did you think of him coming out and and what do you think of him as he's been on the Miami Dolphins? It hasn't really been quite as successful of a career as you would have liked to see early on. See,
0: I think this is a projection to what I saw him being coming out of Michigan State. I like this football player a lot. You talked about Fasano leading up to the the free agency frenzy show and and your infatuation with him. I think this is the cusp of Fasano. I feel like he's a good blocker that could get better. He has what it takes to do that. I know Adam Gase and company really liked this football player. And there was some inter talk and conversation It was going to be him or Fasano and the bears really welcomed him with open arms. I think that was the difference in there, but they wanted him back in Miami you see a similar philosophy, obviously, with Gase and Loggins. I just think this guy can do it all. And if he's comfortable in this situation, he could be that downfield threat. He's definitely let, – let's look at it like this, Lauren, real quick. Logan Paulson and Dion Sims. That's an upgrade right there. Oh, yeah. What we talk, What we talked about being you just pay to get better players and right here because this is a young football player that's ascending and getting better but already has the foundation of what it is you're looking for I think this was an upgrade to what was truly disappointing with Paulson now has gotten improved
1: yeah I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how Sims plugs in I just I'm a little concerned because he has yet to play a 16 game season but he's been over 13 in every year, so I, I'm willing to sort of uh, attribute that to the bumps and bruises of the NFL. Re- real quick, we're getting down. Uh, quick thoughts on, on Quentin Dempsey here. He's a little bit of a speedster. Obviously, he had a lot of interceptions last season. I think it was six, which is one fewer than the total numbers the Bears had at, at, on the whole. But Demps himself, you know, he hasn't necessarily always been this great safety. He's always been solid. To me, he's always been one of those kind of reliable veterans that can step in and be a good starter, but he's never been until this past year that, that sort of playmaker and difference maker on the back end. How much do you think that is attributed to playing on the Houston Texans defense and having that dominant front seven in front of him?
0: I think that has a lot to do with it. I, we're going to go back to what we talked about in the beginning. You know, If you've not played the game of football, there's a level of or a moment where everything slows down you hear them talk about it sometimes i compared it to surfing if you've ever surfed or been on a bodyboard and you get that moment where you're catching the perfect wave and you look to your left left or right and you see the perfect funnel of the wave it's just slow and it's beautiful in nature that's how i see demps i feel like he's hit his soft spot his sweet spot and i feel like Honestly, Lauren, this is one of those signings now that Bear fans like "Ah, 32, 30, 32. I saw a lot of that, but he's been around the league learning philosophies of defenses to where he's reached his confidence point. And the Bears like that. And I think they needed that. And I feel like this is a football player that plays with a chip on his shoulder and would be a leader where You felt like Entrell Roll, you were going to get that, but really ultimately, Entrell Roll was about Entrell Roll. Mm -hmm. This guy seems already fired up with the signings, reaching out to them. Bear fans are later on going to be looking back on this selection and, and say, wow, we really got something special here a captain.
1: Well, we, we're getting down to the final uh, 70 <laughs> seconds of our show, so I'm going to wrap up here. Be on the lookout this Wednesday. Phil and I are doing a Mike Glennon film room video that will be up on YouTube oh, yeah. Wednesday. We're breaking down his traits. We're going to show you some of his throws from his rookie year, show you kind of what he's good, some of the bad. Steve talked about a lot of the points that we're going to be talking about with Glennon, so that that's going to transition perfectly there. Be on the lookout for that Wednesday. Of course – Subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Google Play, wherever it is that you get your podcasts, we are there. Follow us both on Twitter, follow the Twitter account Bears Hour Live to make sure you're up to date with all our shows. As we get closer to the draft, we're gonna be doing some more midweek stuff like we did on Thursday with free agency. But for the mean for the meantime, join us again next Sunday at two o'clock PM Central Time, three PM Eastern for another episode. So with that, I'd like to thank you for listening to this edition of Bears Hour Live.